0: The Lord Jesus was a master storyteller. That is, stories are graphic pictures of human life. So I direct you to the chapter that we read together, Luke 15, and our message is the waiting father or the lost son. Parables are earthly stories with a heavenly meaning. They help us understand God's ways. Some of the Bible commentators say that this parable is the finest of Christ's parables. And it's full of true feeling. And it's painted with most beautiful and graphic colours. Even the novelist Charles Dickens said, It's the greatest short story ever told. Others have said it's the pearl and crown of all parables and there's no equal to it in all of literature. If we as Christians look at it, we could say it's good news within good news. Commonly we've known it in the past as the parable of the prodigal or the wasteful son. More modern writers have Called it the parable of the loving Father. That's where I'm going to try and go this morning. I think it's very appropriate on Father's Day to re- be reminded of our Heavenly Father and the gracious, forgiving, earthly fathers that some of us have been blessed with. So remember the context. It was told to the exclusive attitudes of the Jews. The Jews who looked down on their noses on anyone who didn't come up to their standards. Anyone who'd lost their way in life. Anyone that they didn't feel had earned God's love and grace. That's the background to the story. And let's remember that the Lord Jesus gives us a, a, a string of three parables, all interlinked, all uh, making the same point, but in a graduated way. First of all, there's a very diligent, concerned shepherd, who, when he lost one of his 99 sheep, searched for the errant sheep until he found it. And when he brought it home, he rejoiced with his neighbours. And then the Lord Jesus tells us of a woman who had lost a coin, one of ten. Now, that may have been part of a a ten-coin frontlet that symbolised a wedding vow and may even have been given to her at her marriage. And uh, she lit a lamp and she swept her house carefully until she found it. And then she rejoiced with her friends. That illustrates the search and joy of finding a lost animal and a lost treasure. But that leads on to the much greater yearning of a father for a lost son and the depth and extravagance of his joy when his son returned home. And the Lord Jesus is telling us these parables to show how much God cares about human beings like us and how much God rejoices when we're rescued from sin and trouble and we are brought back to experience the care and love of God as we return. So let's think a little bit more in detail about the son. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said, Father, give me my share of the estate. So here is a young man, he's got a family, he's not neglected, he's cared for, he's cherished and he's not a little spoiled emperor. He's got a brother up. He's in a family business. There's prospects for him. There's security. There's a place for him. And it reminds us that you and I are born into God's world and God has shown us nothing but kindness and goodness and provision. He's provided for our needs. He's given us our families. He's shown us how we should live. He's given us prospects as we trust in him. He showed us what to do at times when we fail. And he sent the Lord Jesus Christ down into our world to reconcile us to God if we have strayed. And yet what happens? That goodness of God is undervalued. People are not Thankful to God by nature. They forget the debt they owe to Him of gratitude and worship and respect. And many young people are rather like this young man. They leave home and they lose contact with home and they never come back to their home community. I'm amazed how often this has happened. And it's reckoned that 200,000 people are reported missing every year some for months some for years some are never ever found or do not wish to be found and in Jesus story this young man was planning to leave home for good now that tells us something it would suggest first of all he was single and that puts him around the age of 17 or so Because most men in the time of the Lord Jesus were married between 18 and 20 years old. Now, this young man wants to be independent. And it's quite right uh, for young people to have that desire and to learn to fend for themselves and to stand on their own feet. Some people grow up feeling they're smothered or trapped. Uh, And they need to develop their character um, as they go forward into life. Can be quite a challenge when young people leave a very warm, caring, providing home. And uh, generally one would say that when young people do leave the, the fly from the nest, um, they will find there is support that they can go back to at home at d- difficult or decisive times in life. But the fact that this young man uh, set out in the way he did suggests that he'd determined <coughs> To leave for good, And he did something quite shocking. He asked for the share of the family inheritance while his father was still alive. Not unknown for children sometimes to say to their dads, "Could I have a bit of my inheritance now?" Uh, it's not an unknown thing. Um, but this, of course, was quite shocking in the days of the Lord Jesus. Uh, It was normally, of course, sorted out on the death of the father. And, of course, in Bible times, doing this was extremely complicated. You see, when the father passed away, the Jewish tradition um, was for the older son to have a double portion of what anyone else had. So, although the younger son was going to get something when the father passed away, um, he would not have had so much, but he would have had a, a very fair share and, of course, you see, the estate was all in land. It, the, it was a farm. That was how people had, property, had assets in those days. Today, people might have a, a pension or, or something else. But in those days, all the assets were in land and stock. That's animals. So when the younger son demands the inheritance now, there's implications for the father... And for the older son. Because it means selling off some of the land, selling off some of the stock, possibly. And it's going to cause difficulties in the family. So here is a young man, he's disregarding his father's feelings, and he's acting quite selfishly. Isn't this too often that people are like that with God? We enjoy his gifts and his good providence? We just enjoy it? We don't think about sharing it. We don't think about others. We don't think about glorifying him. But the father gives in to the son's request. Now, giving in to that kind of request would be quite out of character for a Middle Eastern man. Isn't that very much like God? God doesn't always prevent us from desiring and going after those things and getting those things what, is, what it is not timely or appropriate or good for us to have. There's a warning in the life of Hezekiah in 2 Chronicles 32. When the envoys were sent by the rulers of Babylon to ask him about the miraculous sign that had occurred in the land, God left him to test him and to know everything that was in his heart. In other words, the king was left to his own devices. And he responded as he thought when the Babylonian envoys arrived. Apparently he didn't pray. Apparently he didn't have the benefit of the guidance of the prophet Isaiah. This young man was left to take his own decision. We don't know what his father or brother or servant said to him, but if they did give him advice, he ignored it. When we are left to make decisions, God is testing us to see whether we're going to make wise and godly choices. Will we act when we're off to make life-changing choices? Will we act as we've been taught by God? Or not? Sometimes God lets us have our own way and make our own mistakes so that we know ourselves, we know our weakness, we know our tendencies. That can be immensely humbling when we learn we have misplaced confidence in ourselves. And God Mm. sometimes teaches us that we must learn to be dependent upon him and seek his guidance, as apparently Hezekiah did not seek the guidance of God's servant Isaiah. So this is the young man. And quite rightly, as we grow up, there's going to be a development in our lives. There's going to be a change in our lives. But this young man is jumping ahead and being willful, and he's being thoughtless. So, what about his running away? Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and squandered his wealth in wild living. So, when the uh, estate had been cashed in, the stock, the land had been sold, cash was given to the young man, and off he sent, off he goes. And he's gone to another country. He's left behind the Jewish culture. He's left behind the land where they believed in the Ten Commandments, govern life. He's left behind hearing what other people think about his new lifestyle. He's like a lost coin that didn't show the image of the maker. And then he had a good time. The phrase uh, that is translated uh, squandered means loose or reckless or unrestrained living. In other words, he lived his dreams. He found new friends. And what uh, the Lord Jesus is really describing to us in this young man, he's describing a young man who's left the foundations of, of all that he had been taught as a young person and as a member of a family. He's decided to be his own authority. Now, one can understand the quest for happiness is universal. We, we all want to have a good time. We all want to be happy. But so easy to be mistaken about what will make us truly satisfied and lastingly happy. We, we, we may go through a stage in our life, particularly in adolescent years and teenage years... Well, we will be a bit restless and a bit discontented. But this restlessness it is part of human nature and, and is part of the effect of sin in our hearts. You remember Adam and Eve lived in paradise. Perfect climate, lovely plants, gentle animals, delicious fruits, harmonious relationships. But they were not content. When Satan came, suggesting there was something better. The tree was out of bounds. They wanted that as well. Countless, tasty, nutritious fruits freely available. But they were enticed to rebel against God. And they became independent of God. And it was disastrous. And this young man has made the same mistake. He's not counted the privileges and blessings of his father's home. Which leads, not only from his running, but to his ruin. After he'd spent in everything. It's so easy to spend money. We live in an advertising Age. We live in a consumer society. And there's often new things, better things uh, that we want. There's often an objective in life. So much easier to spend than it is to save. So much easier to be extravagant and lay nothing by for a rainy day. And this young man had made bad decisions. Why did he make bad decisions? Well, For one thing, you see, he'd only got his peers to advise him. He was no longer listening to the voices from his community back home. He was listening to a new group of friends who were of his own age. Do you remember uh, there was a king called Rehoboam? And he'd got to make a big decision. So he listened to his father's counsellors, and then he listened to his friends, the new young counsellors. And he ignored the wise advice of experience and he listened to the young ones who had not got much experience in life. And he made a complete mess of the kingdom and the kingdom split in two and he lost half of his kingdom. This young man was not prepared for the future. He was not listening to wise voices. And for the first time he experienced hardship. There was a severe famine in that country and he began to be in need. Now, famines have often caused disruption in the world. And uh, those who are able to have something laid by for times of hardship will be okay. But those who've got nothing will have no money to buy food in a time of famine. And uh, this young man had got nothing laid by. All his money had run out. And he wasn't prepared prepared to how he was going to cope with misfortune. He got no plans for a difficult time. He got no job. He got no family to turn to. And he was in double trouble. And he suddenly realised that he had not got control of his own life. God was in control of the weather. Not he. And here he was. He was facing hardship for the first time in his life. And sometimes God needs to give us a taste of hardship to make (coughs) us realize that we're not masters of our own destiny. So he suffered shame. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods of pigs eating. Now, That's the ultimate disgrace for a Jew, a pig herder. And he was hungry and he was friendless and he was jobless and he was quite prepared to do the worst possible job and he ended up looking at the pigs (coughs) and looking at the pigs' food and envying it. He was looking at carob pods. If any of you know anything about broad beans, they're in a rather rough uh, coating it's certainly tasteless and horrible and probably upset your stomach. Uh, the carob is from where we get the word carrot that, that measures gold. Carrot seeds were so consistent in size that they were used to weigh gold, so hence carrots of gold. So here he is, he's lonely, he's prepared to eat uh, animal fodder, uh, uh, and pigs are better off than he is. Uh, somebody said willful waste brings woeful want and party boy is now a poverty boy he probably never saw this coming he was bowled over he's come to the end of himself he doesn't know where to go who to turn to no friends no one gave him anything well what about these new friends who'd enjoyed the parties with him He was in a fine mess. But here's the turning point. Here's the turning point. Faith is born of need. Psalm uh, 107 says, Then they cried to the Lord in their trouble, and he saved them from their distress. So, party time's over time to reflect and he begins to remember he came to his senses he said how many of my father's hired men have got food to spare and I'm starving to death it's a critical moment he's taking stock of his situation he's taking a hard look at himself he's taking a deep reflection he's beginning to reassess life he's starting to know himself and beginning to remember we live in such a busy age we carry our iPhones around in our pockets and we're constantly in touch so many interruptions in life the media's intruding, we're seldom alone, and it's too often that we don't have quiet times of reflection. And in particular, when there are critical decisions in life, where we live, our career, our relationships, our marriages, all of these critical times are times that need reflection. And that is where we need to turn to the Lord. That is where we need to really reflect and remember what we have learned. This young man had turned from living water to drinking ditch water. And it's very easy to make mistakes like that. So he resolves. He's made up his mind. I will set out and go back to my father. You know, the hardest step in life when you make a decision is the first step. That can be the most difficult thing to make up your mind and then act on it. But if you make a decision and you act on it, you're halfway there. So he went. He was ready to change. He was ready to face correction. He was ready to swallow the biggest piece of humble pie you can imagine. And he ha- prepares a little speech. This is his repentance. I go to my father and I say, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like a hired man. I will, uh, 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 Make me like one of your hired men. So he thinks of what he's going to say. He's going to tell his father, I've offended heaven. I I, I know I've wronged you, but I've also gone against God's will. I've broken God's law. I've got a bad heart. And he's going to say to the father, I've wronged you. He's not going to make up any excuses. He's not going to say, sorry, I was really adventurous. I was really ambitious. Uh, No, no, no. He's saying, I've done wrong to you. And he said, I'm no longer to be called your son. Make me like a hired servant. So he's going to go back without any preconditions. He's not expecting reinstatement. He's quite prepared to really accept anything so that he can be on good terms with his father and good terms with the family and with the community. He's learned that nothing good lives in in him. He's learned that he's got a sinful nature. And he's learned that he needs to come really humbly to the Father. And that's how we come to God. Mm. That's why we've got the Psalms very often are called the penitent Psalms. They are prayers of people like David who pour out their heart to God acknowledging their unworthiness and their sin and their a failure, failure and their offence against God and man. And they're coming to the Lord to seek his mercy and his grace. So we're told he comes back. Uh, So he went back to his father, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion and ran to greet him. Now, running, the Bible commentators tell us, was pretty undignified for a man to run in that culture. He found a father who had been actually looking out for him. A father filled with grace who embraced him reached out to him. Didn't wait for him to come home and wait for him to prostrate himself. The father went out to find him. He saw him coming. He'd been waiting and praying for this day. And he embraced and kissed him. And then what does the father do? He orders the best robe he put on. It covered all the stains of the pig pen. It erased all the visible signs of the sinful past. We can easily see what this is referring to. It's the robe of righteousness that the Lord Jesus gives us when we repent. And he takes away our unrighteousness. And he looks on us with the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And the stains are gone. And he orders a ring to be put on. A symbol of sonship and authority giving him access to all that belonged to the Father once more. And he calls for shoes to be put on his feet. Only slaves went barefoot. Sons wore shoes. He's a child again. He's accepted. There's no talk about the past. There's new life. He's alive again. He's found again. And then there's a rejoicing, which is what the Lord Jesus wants us to see. They always had a fat calf set by for feasts. And it was sacrificed, it was butchered, it was cooked. They had a great feast and a great celebration. This is the Lord Jesus' parable. This is the parable that the Lord Jesus spoke to people who felt that there were some people who were beyond the pale of God's forgiveness. People who had so offended God that there was no future hope. And the Lord Jesus was giving this wonderful picture as to why the Lord Jesus came into the world, came to seek and save the lost. The Lord Jesus came to mix with those who were undeserving, and those who had offended God and man. The Lord Jesus is demonstrating the willingness of God the Father and the desire of God the Father to bring people into his embrace and into his family. One of the great theologians, E.B. Warfield, put it like this. Can we fail to be moved with wonder today but this great message that God in heaven rejoices exalts in joy like this human father receiving back his son when sinners repent and turn to him our only hope is in one who loves sinners and has come into the world to die for sinners marvel marvel beyond our conception. But blessed be God, as true, as marvelous. This is what the Lord Jesus wants to convey to you and me this morning. The Lord's willingness to forgive. The Lord's longing for people who strayed. The Lord's concern to welcome into his arms of love and acceptance and forgiveness. Everyone who turns to him. There's no one barred. The Pharisees stood there smugly thinking, oh, we've never done things like that. We've always been upright and correct. We've always believed the right things. We've always acted in the right way. But look at those people. No hope for them. But Jesus was... Exactly making that point to anyone who is so smug, they think they are good enough for God. It's only those who feel they're not good enough for God that find his love and his mercy and his embracing love. And that's the message I bring to you today. And the message, of course, can easily be applied to us. We can easily say to ourselves this morning, if we're in formative years of life, with big decisions ahead, don't make the same mistake. But we can easily say to ourselves also, perhaps some of us have made those kind of mistakes. And perhaps some of us have condemned ourselves and felt hopeless and felt there's no way back. There is a way back. There's always a way back. There's always a second chance. There's always hope for renewal and a bright tomorrow. God can overrule our mistakes. God can change our lives and give us a bright tomorrow. And this story of the Lord Jesus, I believe, is as powerful <laughs> and as relevant in this 21st century as it was then. The Lord Jesus is talking about a man who wanted to step out of the culture in which he was raised, a biblical culture, and go into a world culture, a melting pot of new ideas and new lifestyles. And he had to come and realize that there's a right and a good way that leads to satisfaction, fulfillment, and joy. My plea for every one of us here this morning is that you will be those who are found, who are causing rejoicing with the angels in heaven and the people on earth who love the Lord and the Lord himself. That's why God made us to know him and to love him. That's why we're different the rest of creation. We're made in the image of God. We're made spiritual beings. We have eternity in our hearts. And we have eternity set before us when we die. And my plea for everyone this morning is to know this Saviour, the Lord Jesus. May God bless his word.